0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popovich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli. My co-host filling in for Dave Popovich is Andrew Masson. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having me again, Faisal. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while and I'm glad you're on this one because we've got a very special session today. Our whole show today talking about what's going on in the election with the United mm-hmm. States, what's happening in regards to investing and how to actually look at the markets and where to position yourself for the rest of this year and going into next year. And then we're going to have a conversation about what if you're being laid off? What about those severance packages? What do you do? How do you do it? Um, what do you think about when you're going through that? Because there's going to be a lot of people that are going through that, that, uh, that bit of unfortunate situation of layoffs and severance packages. Yeah, and these are truly important times, especially when we're looking at uh, not only what's happening in the markets today, Faisal, but um, what's happening right here in Calgary and how we can help people. That's right. So let's, let's kind of kick it off. Very interesting week. We had a race run up for the first four days of, of, uh, into the election, going after the election caught a bunch of people by surprise on what's going on with the market so from your take and we talked to our clients about this Andrew I think it was Thursday when we did our conference call or we do a quarterly conference call with them letting them know what's going on but we kind of shared with them the thought process of what's really the market digesting so from your perspective what what have you seen happening well I think on the overall phase the the market was was trying to figure out what happens if there was a blue wave originally and then the democrats got into power Um, but that power wouldn't just be the white house but it could have been the the senate as well Um, and of course all these things combined the concern was is well taxes could go up or something bad could happen and now of course this week we've seen a bit of a change of the guard and, and what we've seen so far in election results that have have given us sort of an idea that that blue wave wasn't really didn't really happen but there will be a bit of a change in the guard um, or it looks like that at this point in time. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of it. And there's been a whole bunch of panic leading up to it. And now we're starting to see a little bit more calmer waters, certain areas of the market. For example, the technology, your major FANG stocks, that's Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, Netflix, Google, those types of companies that, have been, uh, that were kind of hit over the last few weeks have started to rally because maybe a deadlock uh, uh, House and Senate would prevent any major issues happening with these tech companies. And like you said, no, no big uh, potential tax hits at this point in time with a with a gridlock happening in uh, in in the White House. Well, I think if anything, Faisal, it kind of gives us the best of both worlds. And what I mean by that is, yeah, okay, maybe we're not going to have. Uh, on a policy basis, um, higher taxes, uh, because if you have a Republican-controlled Senate again, then the tax the tax issue may not be an issue anymore. But on the same time, one of the big issues that the market's been facing and trying to figure out is, what's stimulus going to look like? Because there really hasn't been a stimulus package put out from the United States um, um, as they waited for this election. So now there's an opportunity where the market's saying, okay, we're going to get stimulus, and maybe our taxes aren't going to go up. So this is this is actually good for both sides of the equation. Yeah, great point. And then you look at what came out on Friday morning, jobs reports on both sides of the border. Let's start, I'll, I'll fill in on what happened in the United States. It was a beat to the, up, a surprise on the upside. More jobs were, were given out or were, were created um, comparisons to what they were expecting. The unemployment rate is now at 7.7%. That's the expectation was 7.9% unemployment rate, so the U.S. looks pretty good. On the other hand, in Canada, the numbers were not so great. We were expecting 100,000 jobs to be created in Canada for the month of October, came out to being just shy of 84,000, and no real big movement in the unemployment rate that we can brag about in this country. And so do you think that there are going to be more concerns about about lack of jobs in this country? I, I am concerned about that, um, and that's simply because um, as we've seen a spike in, in coronavirus cases, which is Mark is paying attention to, um, that's going to affect people, uh, people's abilities to, to go to work. Um, so if that's the case, um, I know business is trying to restart, try to move forward, trying to get us in the right direction, but these cases will slow down the amount of people that are available to go there, and that might have an effect on our overall employment numbers, at least in the short term. What also happened during the week was an interesting move in the election, a whole bunch of sub-elections, I guess you can call them, in the United States. And one of the biggest topics that was really focused on but not highlighted through the media was uh, six states have now approved the use of recreational cannabis. And, man, did we see those cannabis stocks take off. In fact, it was Governor Como out of New York that said, You know, maybe we'll have cannabis legalized in the state of New York in just a matter of possibly months. And we saw just a big rally on these cannabis stocks on Basic Hope. What are your thoughts about about cannabis and how it's going to be part of the play in the United States? Well, I think it's part of the play. A lot of states have changed their lives. New Jersey, for example, um, did definitely go for that vote. Um, And so cannabis has an opportunity to, to shine a little bit in the United States. We've seen some low prices on that, but um, it, it's difficult to say because um, I don't think everybody in the world is running off to a cannabis store tomorrow. But there's still an opportunity um, with a much, much what well, I would consider a much larger population um, and perhaps maybe a, a, a brighter light for those cannabis companies. Yeah, you've you nailed it when you said not everyone's going to be running to the store because there still is a black market out there. And in regards to this industry, not too many companies are making a healthy profit quarter over quarter or year over year. So although there was a nice run up in cannabis stocks, we haven't seen too many companies actually make a good profit where investors are looking beyond the the hopes of cannabis sales, but now to the profit of cannabis sales. Yeah, that's true, but you also have to consider the beverage makers and some of the other groups that have gotten in- involved with this, they believe that there's a direction or a directionality for this in the future. Um, they may have a better view or a better idea of what they think can happen in the future, um, and time will tell, Faisal. there's no way out of that. Yeah, let's kind of end off, before we head off to break on this one, we're seeing more and more countries, locations throughout this country and the United States going back into either a quasi-lockdown or a full lockdown, Calgary and surrounding area, the numbers are going up. Do you think we'll go through a lockdown here in our province? I certainly hope not. I think, um, you know, what Jason Kenney has told us in the past has, has been that um, he does not want to have another lockdown, but uh, the numbers are, um, are, are moving up, and it is a little bit scary out there. I think people just really, really need to consider Um, you know, their safety and what they need to do to protect themselves as they move forward, keeping those bubbles small um, and making sure that their families are safe. Absolutely. And so this might be another pushback or maybe a headwind for uh, the the market if we're going to see more and more North American and European uh, cities and nations uh, shutting down completely. I I think I'm in agreement with you. I don't think governments want to do this, uh, but they do have to protect the healthcare care system and the health care of their citizens, so uh, this is something absolutely we 're going to see for the foreseeable future until until either the vaccine has been implemented through society or we have some sort of testing program which can keep people at home versus shutting down businesses. This is going to be very, very volatile and interesting over the next let's call it twelve to eighteen months oh absolutely absolutely and i't i can 't I can't think of what 's going to happen, but uh, I know we 've seen rising cases in the u.s and canada but um we're seeing that in the in in europe and asia and but remember they've they've been there before so we're sort of watch what happens there and then it'll most likely translate somewhere along the line here as well you know with all this pandemic stuff going on election the volatility positive and negative it's very challenging for canadians to figure out how do you protect your your portfolio how do you profit from it and make sure that you can receive income throughout your retirement and we're going to have a seminar on Tuesday, November 17th, 7 p.m., live online. Now, you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay, now, coming up after the break, this whole market has a whole bunch of companies that have have gone up so much, so high in value. Are they overvalued? Should you sell them? And where should you look to place your money coming up next? You're listening to 770CHQR. And more than money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and more than money. And I get the, the privilege of speaking to people who are managing millions and billions of dollars. And in a time like this, what the heck are they doing? How are they investing? And when you come across so many great, talented people like Dave Pop, which I get to do with, uh, with uh, members across the investment community, you kind of get an idea of how they think, more importantly, how they invest. And I think When you bring in someone who's had such great success over the long term and right now sees the world, more importantly the investment world, a little bit different than what conventional thought is, I have to bring him on my show. And so I've got Ty Busada. He is the Portfolio Manager, Founding Partner at Edgepoint Investments Group. Ty,
1: welcome to the show. Faisal, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here with you.
0: So we've got a bunch of things happening in the world today. We've had conversations in the past about how people should be managing their money. Let's kind of go through what you and your team at EdgePoint does when it comes to how do you figure out what to invest into and what not to
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, our, primarily, our primary goal is really just to focus on trying to buy a business that's going to look materially different in the future, usually meaning bigger in the future where you're not being asked to pay for that growth today. So we tend to look out five years into the future and say, is this business going to be materially bigger? And why is it going to be materially bigger? Is it going to move into a new market? Is it going to launch a new product? Um, is it going to take share in its existing market for example and is there something going on right now that's allowing us to buy that future growth and not pay for it and we've been doing this for a very long time and it's worked successfully we think buying growth and not paying for it is is a path to creating wealth over the long term okay that sounds lovely buy
0: growth and not pay for it that's fantastic so break it down for our our average listener out there this canadian who's watching the headlines, hearing all these stories of companies that have just done so well because of either the pandemic or their business model and their their price or their valuation so high. Walk me through how you find companies that you can buy without paying for their growth.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, if, if I were to stand in front of a, a very fancy car and say I'm a um, seller of these cars for a dollar each. I think you'd have a, a lineup five kilometers long of people willing to buy this fancy car for a dollar each. And likewise, tomorrow, if I were uh, a seller at $2 each, you'd have the same amount of people doing the exact same thing and not begrudging the fact that yesterday it cost a dollar and today it costs two because they think the value or they know the value of the car is probably $50,000. Or likewise, if I held up a cup of Tim Hortons coffee and said, I'm a buyer of these cups at a million dollars each, uh, people would run out and buy as many cups as they could and try and sell them back to me for a million dollars. And tomorrow, if I'm doing it at half a million, they they'd do the exact same thing and not begrudge that yesterday they got a million. And, you know, today they're only getting half a million. Why? Because they know the values. A dollar or two for that cup of coffee. But let me ask you this. What ends up happening if the, of the, uh, the price of the company – that owns Tim Horns, a company called Restaurant Brands International, falls by 25% in the span of a couple of days or a week or even one day. Most investors panic. Why? Because there's very little as uncomfortable as watching the price of something you own go down if you don't know what the value of that something is. It's our job to know the value of these businesses. It's our job to be able to understand the business so well that we can see that in Restaurant Brands uh, case, for example, their business is going to be able to continue to grow into the future because of either Tim Hortons or some of the other brands that they might own, like a Burger King or a Popeye's. And therefore, the sudden price movement in that share price allows us to buy that future growth and not pay for it. I hope that answers the question.
0: Oh, it does. It does help. Because when you're looking at something as simple of a concept for Canadians like Tim Hortons, that makes sense. We understand that there's going to be more and more coffee being sold out there. But when you're looking at businesses out there, and for the average investor or the average uh, client of an advisor, they may not understand the value of an individual company, and they look at just the stock market itself. And the stock market itself has a whole bunch of risks out there. So let's talk about you know, what risks are our investors facing today?
1: I would say that um, if, if you look at what investors tend to want to do, they want to make decisions about how to get to their uh, goal, let's call their goal, their financial goal, point B. And today being point A, they, they tend to want to make decisions about how to get to point B based on how they feel around point A, meaning their emotions around today dictate how they're going to invest for the long term. And through history, 100% of the time, that's proven to be a failing strategy. But the average investor constantly uh, chooses to do that. So let me give you an example of what makes people feel comfortable uh, today. Um, One of the things that make people feel comfortable today is buying things that have benefited from the pandemic, uh, irrespective of valuation. So let's call those companies the obvious growers. And if you look at this group Of obvious growers. Uh, Let's uh, even peel it back a little bit more. Let's look at the United States and say, let's pull out the 750 largest companies in the U.S. and look at the 75, so the top 10% with the best growth profile. And if you look at that group of 75, it contains a lot of businesses that benefit from what's going on today with COVID. And you look at the valuation of those 75 companies relative to the valuation of the rest of the businesses in that top 750, that relative valuation today is higher than it 's been over the last seventy years over the last seven decades, so essentially dating back to the end of World War two people have never paid relatively more to own businesses that are growing than they are today, but yet it makes them feel comfortable to own those businesses today so the the, the price that they 're paying for those businesses relative to the value has never been and never been higher now it's um, it 's it's a situation where uh, it's not unique. People tend to make these same mistakes time and again. And if you go back over the last... I'm going to say 50 years because I happen to be close to 50 years old, and and just walk you through these mistakes being made time and again. Um, I think it'll be uh, truly instructive as to why you shouldn't be making decisions based on how you feel around point A on how you're going to get to point B. So let let me just very quickly, in less than a minute or two, just walk you through 50 years worth of history of people making the wrong decision uh, around point A because of their emotions. So if you go back to when I was born, it was in the early 70s, And back then, there was a group of 50 companies that everyone thought was just going to grow. And all you had to do was own these 50 companies, and that valuation didn't matter. As long as you own these 50 companies, you're going to do just fine. And those 50 companies were called the nifty 50. Had you bought into that like everyone else was buying into that because it made you feel comfortable, what ended up happening was was within a decade you'd lost about half your money because people weren't paying attention to valuation when they did that. Fast forward to the end of the 1970s now, and then it's Jimmy Carter, the President of the United States, going on television and saying, my fellow Americans, turn down your thermostats and wear sweaters this winter because in a couple of years we're going to start running out of oil, if you could believe it. And the oil price spike. And what ended up happening then was a lot of people, some of the people I even knew, went out and bought oil. And more importantly, in my case, I know people that buried a tank of oil in their backyard because they were worried that the oil was going to run out of the stuff or it was going to get a lot more expensive. Twenty five years later, it cost these people that I knew, more money to pull the oil out of the ground, that tank out of the ground, than the oil inside was worth. Again, a mistake that was made, and now it's permanent destruction of capital. You go to the 80s, and it's different this time. It's not a commodity like oil, or it's not a group of companies, but this time it's a country. All you have to do is buy the Japanese Nikkei, because it's only going to go up, and everyone's going to be buying televisions and Walkmans from Sony, and Toyota's going to teach the rest of the world how to make cars. We're 30 years later now, and you still have and made your money back having gone through that. The 90s, you walk into emerging markets, and all you have to do is buy emerging markets because emerging markets always grow faster than developed markets. Had you bought into that, within a couple of years, you'd experience permanent loss of capital as Mexico and everything from Russia to Southeast Asia uh, imploded. Again, you did what made you feel comfortable. It was the wrong thing to do. You weren't focusing on, for example, trying to buy growth and not pay for it. And then you walk into the late 90s and it's the dot-com boom. And then it's 2005 and it's the Federal Reserve in the United States going on television and saying to America, you have nothing to worry about. The average price of a home in the United States never falls. It made people feel comfortable to do or to buy real estate in the United States, for example. All those examples are of people making decisions that made them feel comfortable in the moment around point A that led to them not really getting to their point B successfully. It's our job to focus on being a rational business person and trying to identify where we can get growth and not pay for it and over the long term we've we've been successful at doing that
0: that's fantastic so now when we come back from the break we're going to talk to Ty about well how patient do you have to be when you're buying companies for their growth without paying for it because there's been a lot of cases with many people in our industry that haven't performed according to plan at this point in time but at some point will. So we're going to talk about what kind of patience an investor needs. And we're also on our seminar on November 17th, 7 p.m., live online. We're going to talk about how you bulletproof your retirement, how do you receive cash flow for the rest of your life. Now, if you want to join us for this webinar, you need to re- register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. register. Okay, coming up after the break, what if the portfolio is not doing so well right now, but you've got a strategy that's designed for the long term? How patient do you have to be? We'll, We'll talk about that next on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back to more than money on 770 CHQR. And before the break, we were talking about how people buy investments based on how they feel today. And that may not be the right way of investing, especially when you're transitioning to or living in retirement. And so one of the questions that many people have is, well, I've got a strategy and I'm gonna, I have to be patient, but how patient do I have to be to see the fruits of my investment uh, ripen and give me what I need? So we've got uh, Ty Busada. Ty is the portfolio manager and founding partner of Edgepoint Investment Group. Uh, Ty, welcome back.
1: Thank you very much, Faisal. It's nice to be here.
0: Oh, okay, so let's kind of go through that one key piece because there's going to be a bunch of money managers and i've had this case with me in my portfolios for my clients sometimes we're not performing to how the market is performing and let's say the s p 500 or the nasdaq or something that they look as a benchmark to compare me to uh and there are times i'm underperforming and and sometimes we just say you know hang in there which is not always very comforting for investors so when it comes to a portfolio You guys do a great job at looking at companies and buying them and buying them for the growth that you don't have to pay for. How patient does somebody have to be to see that return on their investment when it comes to your guys' strategy?
1: I would start by saying if you have an investment approach that you understand and you buy into, patience is required because in order to outperform an index materially over the long term, you can't do it by looking like the index itself. So sometimes the index is going to zig and a good manager is going to zag. And let me give you some con- or a concrete example. So a g- good manager usually underperform their index 30 to 40% of the time or 30, 40% of the years. So let me give you even a more specific example, if you look at Warren Buffett, 32% of the years uh, while he's been at Berkshire Hathaway, he has underperformed the S&P 500 index, which is uh, quite astounding. When you look at his long-term track record, it would have been silly to give up on, um, on, on Warren Buffett during uh, the past, but uh, it was, there were plenty of opportunities to do that given the fact that almost one out of every three years he underperformed. Okay, so that,
0: that, that's interesting you say that because Warren Buffett is basically 66% of the time outperforming the market, 33% of the time underperforming the market. And so would you say that an average investor should hold on to the ta- a strategy similar to the one that you're doing at EdgePoint for five years, 10 years? Like, What's the time frame that an investor should be comfortable for?
1: Absolutely. I think one of the biggest mistakes that investors tend to make is they want to buy a fund when it has very good short-term performance and sell a fund when it has poor short-term performance. There's lots of data showing that the average investor does that, and if you look at the actual fund performance, most average investors who own that fund never get the average performance because they're, they're buying it when it looks good and selling when it looks, uh, when it looks bad. If you have an investment approach that you believe makes sense, if you're invested in an investment approach that you believe makes sense, what you should do is focus on the long term, meaning the next five to 10 years, and let the investment approach play out again, because oftentimes you could go through longer periods of time, three years, for example, where the investment approach looks wrong. It's not that the investment approach is uh, not working over the long term. It's that it's not looking like the index in the short term and might continue to outperform over the long term like it has in the past.
0: Okay, so one thing that I get from my clients is that when there's a short-term underperformance, it is the uncertainty of how we may perform in the future and how are we going to manage some of the risks that are going to happen in the future without knowing what all those risks are. So, from your perspective at Edgepoint, what are you doing to navigate these risks for your investors who've entrusted you with their capital?
1: We, we define risk differently. So first of all, the vast majority of investors define risk as volatility in the marketplace. And we don't see that as risk at all. We define risk as the opportunity for permanent loss of capital. So we, each, we approach each business as if it's a business that's going to feed our family and put a roof over their head. And in our case, it's very easy to say that because collectively uh, the, the partners that are at EdgePoint, the employees of EdgePoint, are the second largest owners of our own portfolio. So we eat our own cookies. And therefore, we do have to approach each business as if it's going to feed our family and put it over their heads. So we we look for common sense business risks, risks to revenue growth, risks to margin contraction, risks to management succession, and risks, quite frankly, to not even understanding the business model sometimes. And we try to avoid those situations. It is... A, Just heading back to volatility now, we said risk isn't volatility. So what is volatility? We believe volatility is the friend of the investor who knows the value of a business, and it's the enemy of the investor who doesn't know the value of a business. So if you truly understand the value of a business, what you're able to do is capitalize on the volatility in the market by by purchasing uh, from those who don't know the value or sometimes selling to those who don't know the value and might be overvaluing a particular business.
0: Ty, you didn't say anything about politics. You didn't say anything about government controls and so forth. Where does that play in regards to the risks when you're looking at investing in the future?
1: It's a topical question these days because of what's going on in the US with the presidential cycle but at the end of the day if you if you have a business that could is about to launch a new product that's going to be able to take a bunch of market share for example and you know double the size of the overall business I don't think that company that owns that product that's going to you know double their revenue because of that product really cares about what or who's going to be uh, in the seat uh, as it relates to the President of the United States. So what we're really trying to do is is focus on those businesses that can grow in different environments and not pay for that growth today. We have a couple
0: minutes left before we have to go to commercial break. Ty, give me one or two pieces of advice that you'd want the average investor to to know so they can be successful in their investing over the next coming five to ten years.
1: I think the most important thing to do is identify an investment approach that you could understand and believe in with managers that have a proven ability to add value with that investment approach over the long term and stick with it. Try not to let your emotions of today dictate how you're going to achieve your long term goals. Do not uh, do not uh, do what uh, people tend to often do, which is, you know, get caught up in the consensus thinking of the day, whether it's, you know, go out and buy the, all the technology companies of the day because everyone wants technology companies today and their share prices happen to be going up in the short term. If you look back at the history of investing, getting caught up in the short term, letting your emotions in the short term dictate how you're going to manage your money in the long term has never, ever, ever proven to be a good strategy. So I would highly recommend that investors really try to check their emotions at the door, identify an investment approach that they could understand, and align themselves with a team of people who can execute that investment approach for them.
0: That's fantastic. One real quick question. Are you seeing companies out there today around the world where you can buy them without paying for their growth, or is the value out there pretty much gone?
1: I would say that uh, in, in... in our portfolios, we, we, own, we tend to have concentrated portfolios. So if you look at uh, our global portfolio, for example, we'll own around 33 businesses, and we tend to own those businesses for an average of five years each. And there's no question that across those 33 businesses, we believe we're buying future growth for free. This year has been particularly beneficial from uh, the perspective of being able to do that because of all of the volatility in the market. If you think back to how people were feeling back in March and April and May and June, and even to this day, there's a lot of fear out there and fear creates those opportunities to buy growth and not pay for it so we have our portfolios are filled with businesses where we believe we're buying growth and not paying for it otherwise we wouldn't own those businesses so i I wouldn't say they're everywhere in the world but they're certainly in our portfolio in our opinion
0: and and there's some on your shopping list or, or is there nothing to shop for right now
1: There certainly is. We're always watching uh, for, uh, uh, we've always uh, found good businesses over time that might not be uh, priced to the point where you're not being asked to pay for growth. And what we tend to do is we wait in the weeds for these businesses that we could see growing into the future, but they might be priced for that growth today, whereas something happens in the short term and we could step in and buy that growth for free. In the last I'm going to say eight or nine months with all the volatility that COVID's created, we've had the opportunity to actually step in and buy 11 new businesses just in our global portfolio over that period of time. And that's highly unusual for us. In an average year, we'll only buy six. So from uh, March until uh, November, uh, we've purchased 11 new ideas, almost twice the amount of ideas that we normally purchase in a year. And that's all been created by the volatility in the market. The opportunity was presented to us to buy these companies that were on our wish list and suddenly not pay for the growth because the share price fell because of fears around COVID. Ty, I
0: want to thank you so much for giving clarity on sticking to a discipline
1: when it comes to when it comes to
0: investing, thank you for joining us on the show, Faisal. Thank you very
1: much. It was very nice to join you.
0: We've been joined by Ty Busetta, portfolio manager and founding partner of EdgePoint Investment Group. Coming up after the break, what if you're going through a layoff? What if you're going to get a severance package? What are the key things you have to think about if you are going through that process? You're listening to Seven Seventy CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're listening to Seven Seventy CHQR and More Than Money and. Uh, Andrew, you're, we were talking uh, at the beginning of the show about everything that's going on in the uh, in the economy from a U.S. election to uh, the job losses that we've had because of the pandemic. And during a job loss, there are many Canadians, Albertans that will go through potential layoffs or job losses. and And, and many of them are going to end up with a severance package. And so I wanted to, because you're, you're the guy on our team that does a lot of the number crunching for financial plans, retirement plans, looking at tax strategies and best ways to, to draw income. Um, I wanted to kind of have some time with you about this. I think this is a really good educational piece uh, for our listeners. Uh, let's kind of chat about when when the potential of a severance is coming your way. What are maybe one or two things we should start off, start thinking about right away? Well, when I look at this phase low as an opportunity, right? A severance package is, is um, an opportunity for you to look at you know, what your future is or what you're moving ahead. And more importantly, who is your team or who's your financial team of professionals that's going to help you through this process? Because it's easy to sign off on a document, but we may not be thinking necessarily of what the most important outcomes are, which is to get as much as we can, Um, and protect as much as we can because not only is it going to affect you today, it's going to affect you tomorrow. So let's try and do the best thing um, on both sides. So the first thing that I come out with is what is that severance? How is it going to be paid? And so what I mean by that is some people will get an opportunity where they have a lump sum payment that's going to come to them and they're only going to be able to receive it this year. Now that could be a problem, but really in essence the question becomes is is there a way or is your your employer or soon-to-be former employer willing to help you and perhaps maybe straddling between two tax years? Because if you think about it right now, we're in November, we're almost at the end of the tax year. Maybe there's an opportunity where they could say, well, we'll pay a portion out in January to try and minimize your tax liability, just as a start. So let's kind of give an explanation of that. Why would someone want to split that that severance between the two years from this year and going into January of next year? Well, it's because we are in a graduated tax situation here in Canada. So depending on the amount of income you've earned in any one given year, there may be an opportunity where you could split the tax effectively and lower your overall tax rate in this year and next. So think about it. If it's November now, you've worked for 10 months, potentially, And in that 10-month period, you've earned so many dollars. If you have a significant severance, that's going to push you up on tax brackets or move you into higher tax levels, and you're going to pay more tax to the federal and provincial governments. By looking at ways to perhaps split this, maybe you can reduce that tax liability and carry it into a year that you may not be working or may not be working as much. And that can save you thousands of dollars in taxes. (laughs) It's unbelievable the amount of money you can save on that. Uh, Recently, uh, I did go through one, and and the total savings was well over $30,000. Wow. So that's something that, first of all, we should be looking at is when you receive a severance, when do you receive it? Is it in which calendar year? Can you move it to the next calendar year? That's a very good point that you made there, Andrew. There is another part. I would say another two parts. Mm-hmm. When you receive a, a severance package, part of that package is something called a retirement allowance. Tell me more about that's that. Correct. So a retirement allowance is uh, is if you were employed prior to 1996, there are some additional things which allow you to move monies into an RSP under a different program. But once again, it becomes if if you were a person that's being severed from a company, you were at that company. F- earlier than 1996 there'd be some additional options and to shelter some dollars coming into that severance plan. So um, once again, we have to look at that and that's why your team is very important as you move forward. Um, There's one between 1996 and the other one is prior to 1989. So there's a little bit of work and math that goes with it. Now, when most people receive their severance packages, it is the company who tells them how much they can move into these different things, such as, What's the retirement allowance and what's an actual severance itself? Yes. Um, most companies will tell you that, but you also have to consider a couple of other things. Um, so the, the severance by itself is one, then the retirement allowance is second. It's just a mathematical equation. You can move things into your RSP. There's no problem with that. The third piece is how much RSP room do you have? Okay. And for that so, matter, for that matter, how much RSP room does, does your wife have? Or your spouse. Um, Perfect. And the, so, so yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and the reason I ask Why is that important? Yeah. Why is that important? And the reason I asked that question is because if possible, if you have significant RSP room, this is an opportunity to shelter some of those dollars and protect them from the tax man. Um, so if you've moved into a higher tax bracket because of the severance, um, we can reduce some of the tax liability by using the RSP room. On the same side, does your spouse have room? Well, ultimately, if your spouse is working, and they have room, we can lower their tax bracket a little bit. So once again, trying to shelter some of that money, make sure it's protected the best can, and then of course move it forward to your retirement in the future. So you're gonna get some money that's gonna be considered taxable income because so you're gonna take mm-hmm. that in, in cash. There's gonna be some you can move to an R S P or your your partner's R S P which is fantastic. But there's one more piece you and I were talking about at the commercial break uh-huh. that people have to think about. of When you have that money in your bank account after you've paid that tax, what should you do with that money? Well, Canadians have uh, – we have access to a tax-free savings account. It's a great rainy day fund. It's great for a lot of different purposes. And Canadians – most Canadians haven't completely contributed to the tax-free savings account. By the end of 2020, the amount that you can have in that account – Sixty-nine thousand five hundred. That's how much you can contribute um, total over your lifetime since the TFSA started. Um, and if you haven't hit those those dollar rooms with those figures, we would want to consider adding to them. Not only because we want to protect the dollars from tax in the future, but it provides you uh, another layer of of tax uh, tax not avoidance, but uh, just uh, tax safety. Uh, yeah, and one thing that you do this, I do this, the rest of our team members keep on talking to our clients when they're getting the severances, keep in mind that the company, when they pay you your severance, which is a a taxable event, it's coming into your bank account, they withhold some tax, but they may not withhold all the tax that you're supposed to pay. In fact, in most cases, it's just 30%. And in many cases in, 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 in Canada, severance packages might put you at the 48% tax rate. So there's, there's a bunch of money you still owe come tax time. Andrew, what are your experiences with that? Well, and we have experienced that a lot because people thought they have paid the tax. They end up coming with a large tax bill at the end of the year. My recommendation is work with your tax professional and your advisor to find out what kind of money you would need to leave aside to make sure that bill is paid um, because that bill would be uh, due likely in 2021 uh, excuse me in 2021 um the reality is is we want to shelter those dollars protect them in probably a high interest savings account we don't want to take a lot of risk because guess what um at the end of the day the tax bill whatever it is is going to be owed and if something goes wrong in the markets and we've taken on risk and you don't have enough there's going to be a new problem yeah that's a great point i think that that's that kind of gives you an overview of the financial issues tax issues to think about in the event of a, a severance or a layoff and you know what, if you just need some information, you need some help, just reach out to us by going to morethanmoneyradio.com. Uh, uh, go to the Contact Us section. We'll be more than happy to give you more information from whatever we have. We've got a strong team that focuses on transitioning and retirement. I think this is a, a good time to help those of the people who are going through some very stressful times. So I'm, I'm glad you've been on the show today. Uh, Andrew to kind of give us this insight as well uh, we're going to talk more about this type of stuff on our seminar uh, that's going to be on Tuesday November 17th 7 p.m live online now you need to register so go to morethanmoneyradio.com that's morethanmoneyradio.com to register Andrew thank you so much for joining uh, me today I, I couldn't do that, done this without you filling in for Pop, which I think we should kick him off the show and just keep you on here full time <laughs> Well, thanks for all the uh, the support, and I uh, uh, look forward to not only talking to you in the future, but uh, um, to, to other people that call calling in and want a little bit of help uh, in these processes. That's great. Thank you. And again, for all of you listening, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, tune in next week. We're going to have some great conversations as we get through and hopefully figure out who the next president of the United <laughs> States is. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money.